going on with the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 8. We're going to finish the book by September 2027. So, no, we're good. We're going, we're going on with the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 8. And I really feel like today's going to be a, a, a kind of a, a wake-up call. It's, it's kind of like the story of two, two kingdoms colliding. And, uh, and it really is a, is a story that follows Stephen's martyrdom last week that Emily was talking about, Stephen being killed for the gospel. So I want to pray for us as we get started and, and kind of dive in this, this uh, amazing story. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this morning's worship. Thank you for the testimonies this morning, Lord, that you are a God who is good, you're faithful, and you're kind, and you're powerful, Lord. You can bring deliverance, you can bring healing, you can bring jobs, you bring breakthroughs, Lord. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would bring more of that. I pray that you would bring a revelation of your great love and your great power, that your kingdom is alive, that you're a living God, and that you'd open, us, open our eyes to your, your word this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray for a spirit of freedom, wisdom, and revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so all through the Gospels and Jesus', Jesus teaching, Jesus' ministry, he walks into towns that had never heard the good news. And the same thing happens in the book of Acts. And when that happens, there's two kingdoms collide, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And what happens when, when people have never heard about Christ or, or, or cities or cultures have never heard about Jesus, things get shaken up in the spiritual world. Things get shaken up in the, the spiritual realm. There's a real unseen world that's just as real as the one that we live in now. And it affects what we, what we see physically. The spiritual realm includes angels, includes demons, includes God, includes the enemy, the, the devil. It includes all those things that are talked about throughout Scripture. And when, when Jesus walked into town, he performed miracles, signs and wonders, and oftentimes he cast out demons. And the same thing happens in the book of Acts. We should expect that to happen when, when light encounters darkness. People have been walking in darkness, been, been, who've been deceived, who've walked in false religions, false beliefs, false ideas about God. They've given themselves over to things. Crazy things happen, right? Things that, that maybe we don't see every day in America. But that maybe, maybe that's because we don't expect it to happen or we don't think it's real, but it's real. When I, when I was, um, I finished grad school about 15 years, 15 years ago, that's a long time. 15 years ago, yeah, 2000, 2002. And I went on a mission trip. I, went, I actually went on staff with, um, with a mission agency called Youth with a Mission. We went to um, several places in the, in the Far East, and the craziest one we, place we went to was Tibet, China. We went to this remote, remote place. Like, it was never above freezing. It was like 10,000 feet and above in this remote, un, unreached, untouched place um, with 2,000 people, this small little city. And in a very real way, we were maybe the first Christians who had ever been there. And it was, it was so heavy, the oppression, the the heaviness of darkness in that place because they had never heard about Jesus. We went up on, pray, we, we went up on the, the mountain sides around the city. Oftentimes, that's where um, the Buddhist priests would go up and make sacrifices or do rituals because there were high places over the city. And we went up there to pray. And we, 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 were, we were probably the first Christians to ever pray in that city, literally, in, in thousands of years. And um, the heaviness, the, the sort of sadness, the depression was just tangible in that place. Because there's really an unseen world, an unseen, an unseen reality. And so this is what happens in the book of Acts. Let's just, let's just get, get going with this story. This, this is kind of what happens with Philip walking in this town of Samaria. It says in Acts 8, verse 4, it's a long story. I'm going to break it up into three, three parts. 
Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had said. With shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. Many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted he was someone great, and all the people, high and low, gave them gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with sorcery. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, men and women alike. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Let's stop there. So this is an incredible story. This town had already become sensitized to the spiritual world because they had seen this man, Philip, for years amaze them with his sorcery, with his magic, with his witchcraft, with whatever it was. And it was real. He really did things that he amazed both the high and the low, the elites of the city, the intellectuals, as well as the common man. He amazed them with his powers. And they called him the great power of God. So Philip comes on the scene. And we're not sure who Philip is, honestly. Theologians think Philip may have been the Philip of the 12 disciples or could have been a Philip of an early early conversion in Acts chapter 2. We're not sure if it was that Philip or a different Philip. But either way, this man comes on the scene. He has incredible faith, incredible power. He just walks on and just revival begins breaking out. He's going to this place in Samaria. Samaritans were kind of looked down upon because they were half Jew, half Gentile, and they were often outcasts. And so he goes to this town and begins preaching. And as he's preaching... Signs and wonders start happening. There was, there, was an, there was almost an expectation, perhaps, of this should probably happen because this, is all, this has always happened with Simon. So Philip is preaching, and the difference is he's preaching the good news of the gospel. And that's a distinction from what I would call the occult. The occult is anything that is sort of power that's, Called, it's called hidden wisdom, hidden knowledge. So witchcraft, sorcery, tarot card readings, psychic readings, that's all the occult because someone is seeking knowledge or power through hidden ways. And it's all throughout Scripture. And it exists today. It's still alive and well. And Simon had been doing whatever it was, sorcery or witchcraft, and he was amazing people, but he wasn't healing them. He was just glorifying himself. The occult never sets people free. It only puts them in greater bondage. They may be amazed by it. They may be shocked by it. They may, they may, they may you know, get goosebumps or something because it's, it's really interesting. Someone can read your fortune or someone can tell your future or someone can read your palm. But the occult only seeks to take power from you, not to give power to you. And so when Philip came on the scene, he's preaching the gospel of the good news And they're like, this is different. People are getting healed now. People are getting set free now. Demons are coming out of people. Maybe demons that that Simon had invited in. But they were getting set free. And that is a shocking difference between the kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. Darkness always seeks to continue to keep you in bondage to itself. The kingdom of light always is about the power of God for the freedom of the people of God. The power of God for the freedom of the people of God. So Simon himself gets saved, supposedly. He believes, and he's baptized. 
When I was uh, a youth pastor, I, I spoke at a, um, a youth camp. About, it was about 10, 12 years ago. And I spoke at this camp of middle school kids, about just a small group of maybe 40 or 50. And I was preaching on purity, I believe, that night. And it was just a normal talk. I'm preaching on purity. And there were some kids that were invited. They were not part of the church. They, they'd come with friends. My wife uh, was in the back with, with uh, several of the girls. We weren't married at the time, but she was in the back with several of the girls as a leader. And this one girl, this little 13-year-old girl, begins to visibly start having, start shaking and start having this manifestation, that's what we would call it. And Shannon takes her to the back room with another, another leader. They begin praying for her, and, she's, and she begins convulsing. And she's almost like comatose at first, and she starts convulsing, and they're praying in Jesus' name. They're trying to, trying to pray whatever this is or asking God for wisdom. And this is not something you see in most middle school camps, right? <laughs> This is not something you would see at a, at a typical church camp. But this girl, we don't know what, what she came from or what's her background, but we, we all went in there, began praying for her, and it, it, took, it took a long time. And we're, you know, we're, all the guys are coming around doing our best to yell at this thing, and, you know, and Jesus, you know, screaming. Demons don't really care about how loud you are. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not about that. But this lady, this little, this, this church, uh, this pastor's wife, she's, a, she's an amazing intercessor, and she just waited for all of us to get, get done screaming. And she just walks over quietly, and in complete authority, she just says, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out, so-and-so. And that girl just wakes right up, and she's like, what happened to me? What happened to me? I don't, I don't even know what happened. She was all, you know, she was drenched in sweat. She'd been, she had, had no idea what had happened. And, and she was, uh, you know, whatever, oppressed. I wouldn't say she's possessed, but she was oppressed by a, a demonic spirit that may have come into her life through something that happened to her, something she was involved in. Demons come into our lives, into people's lives, through open doors. And so she'd open a door somewhere, or maybe her parents opened a door somewhere in her life. And that had come into her life and brought fear. She had, she'd struggled with the fear of death, a fear of, a fear of uh, sickness and depression, and so they prayed for her. And we didn't really talk to her again. She was probably pretty embarrassed, but we didn't, we didn't, see, we didn't really hear about what happened over the long term. But the reality was, the kingdom of light was encountering the kingdom of darkness, and this girl, this whatever was going on inside of her, was getting stirred up. And that's what happens. If we've opened doors in our lives to demonic stuff through a number of ways, which I'll get to in a second, a number of ways, we're going to experience things that could be a result of demonic activity. It could be irrational fear. It could be health issues. It could be many, many things that are, that are examples throughout Scripture. I'm not saying, just from the, just from the outset, that mental issues are a result of demons. I'm not saying all mental issues or all mental depression or anxiety is a result of a demonic thing. I, want, I don't want to categorize or, or, or stereotype anything like that. So just hear me for, for, say that from the outset. That God, you know, that, that, is, that is not necessarily the truth. So let's continue on with the story. Now between verse 13 and 14, there is a, a duration of time. We don't know what, how long this happened, but people came to Christ, revival's breaking out, and now... The leaders in Jerusalem hear about it, Peter and John. And so it's about a two days journey from Samaria, somewhere in Samaria, to Jerusalem. So most likely it was several weeks, maybe months had gone by before they heard about it. They decided to go, they get their stuff, and they go. Now it says this in verse 14 When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they, pray for, they prayed for the new believers that it, they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
So let's just pause there. So Peter and John come. They see revival breaking out, but yet they had not received the Holy Spirit. Now, if you just take this text out of sort of out of context and look at that, it, it seems to suggest that there were Christians who didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And that is not consistent with the rest of Scripture, really. That's one interpretation of it. But, but to look at the rest of Scripture, we always look at the whole list of, of Scripture. And this is a story. This is not a theological teaching. It's a story of what happened. So it's important that we look at other verses to either confirm or, or, or um, you know, disagree with this, the idea of that. So looking at other texts, we believe, we believe that when you accept Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You are sealed, you're, you are marked with the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if you don't have the Spirit of, of Christ, then you don't belong to Christ. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. So it seems clear that when a person accepts Christ, the spirit comes inside of you. But there are moments, there are times, there are experiences where the spirit falls or comes upon people in such powerful ways that things manifest, healing signs and wonders. And that should be normative. That's not just once in a while, but this is what happened. Paul and uh, Peter and John come in town. The Spirit had not fallen in that way. They lay their hands on him. They pray for him, and boom, the Spirit shows up. And it's powerful. Throughout the book of Acts, the Spirit falls. It's not just one or two times. It says in Acts, I'll, I'll just mention a few things. Speaking in tongues is one, one proof of the Spirit, Acts 2, verse 4. The gift of prophecy, Acts 19, verse 6. Overflowing praise of God's greatness, Acts 10.46. Obedience to the commands of God, Acts 5.32. Courage and boldness to witness and share the gospel, Acts 9.17. The working of gifts, miracles, and wonders, Acts 6.8. So there's not just one way the Spirit manifests when someone feels the Spirit. It's not just just speaking in tongues or not just prophecy. There's many ways that you can experience the Holy Spirit. And when, he, when He's poured out, it may affect you differently than it affects me. But when the Spirit is poured out, there is an effect Right? There is something that happens in, it's unmistakable. And so I would just, this morning, I feel like I want to say that. I want to say that if you're not experiencing God, if you're not experiencing the Spirit, examine your heart, examine your life, because you should be. We should be having experiences with God. Experience is normative Christianity. It's not, it's not just for special people who fast for 40 days. It's not just for special people who are, who are doing you know, radical things for the Lord or missionaries or something like that. It's, it's for the kingdom of God. It's for his sons and daughters. Experience is so essential because it, it, what, it's what causes our hearts to overflow with obedience and with love and joy for him and in him. It's not the only thing. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just live by experience. But if there's no experience, there may be something wrong. And if there's only experience, there may be something wrong. Right? We should be people of balance, people of both, head and heart, mind and soul. So, it was normative. So they lay their hands on him, and the spirit falls. And this is what happens. When Simon saw, verse 18, this is the last part of the text. When Simon saw the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, 
And he said, give me this ability also, so everyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. Literally in the Greek, the word perish means hell. And he says, in the Greek, it literally means may you and your money go to hell. That's what he says. That's not in most translations. There's one translation. Because you thought you, you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before the Lord. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he might forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and you're captive to sin. Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you've said may happen to me. And after they further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages. So Peter discerns in Simon this, this bitterness. And we don't know what happened between those, again, those, those several weeks between verse 13 and verse 14, but something had happened in Simon's heart. He had come to Christ, he saw things happening, and then he became an, a normal disciple, right? He lost his place of authority. He was the man. He was the one they called the great power of God. Everyone looked to him. Everyone saw him. He was the one getting attention. He was the one getting praise. And now he's just under Philip. And maybe he thought when he came to Christ, he'd have the power of Philip. He'd have the same authority as Philip. But he didn't. And something happened in his heart. Bitterness took root. Offense took root. And he became captive to sin in those, in those several weeks or months, whatever happened. And that blocks the Lord. That blocks the Spirit. Someone said that today, unforgiveness blocks the Holy Spirit. When we hold on to that, because the Spirit is a, is a Spirit of forgiveness, it's the opposing spirit of the true Holy Spirit. When we hold on to unforgiveness towards someone or something, we hold on to bitterness and vengeance, we're moving the, in the opposite spirit of the Lord. We're moving in the opposite desire of the Lord. It's like the Lord is... Ra- like I, could, I imagine this, this whole story of the Spirit falling on the church, and like it's just rains pouring down, and Simon's over there with a, with a huge umbrella, and he feels nothing. Because the bitterness in his heart is blocking everything. It's still, God still wants to rain on him. God still wants to pour it out. But he's holding on to that bitterness going, I don't have that power. I don't have that authority that Peter and John have or Philip has. And he holds on to unforgiveness. He holds on to that bitterness. And it blocks, literally blocks, the move of the Lord in his life. And so he just says what his natural self would do. Can I, I want to buy that gift. How do I get that? And in, in, that's, in, in the occult, that's true. They would, you'd, you'd pay a fortune teller. You'd pay a psychic reader. You'd pay a, you'd pay a witch. That's what you would do. So it was probably natural for him to say that. How can I buy this? And Peter discerns, through word of knowledge, he discerns what's happening in Simon's heart. He sees behind this request, and he says, you're a slave to sin. You're a captive to sin. And there's nothing else written about Simon in, in the Bible. We don't know what happened to him. But church tradition, there's other texts besides the Bible that, that, that date back to that first, second century time. Church fathers talk about it church leaders of the day, they say that Simon supposedly, after this event, left the church in Samaria, went to the capital of Rome, and with another, another partner, a woman or something like that, started a cult and did it, began doing his witchcraft again, began doing his sorcery again, had a huge following. And supposedly, he was the founder of the early heresy called Gnosticism, which is, it was a huge deal in the early church, this huge heresy that, they, that the Christians had to combat and deal with because it, it resembled Christianity, and, and they, say, they say that Simon was part of that. So Simon, a believer, at first, bitterness, unforgiveness, takes root in his heart, offense, he shakes his fist, and he goes back to his old, old ways. It's a sobering story of like, 
Can this happen right now, today, to a Christian? Bitterness, unforgiveness takes root. Or something else, a wound or a trauma. And we say, God, you didn't do what I thought you would do. God, you didn't do what, I, what, you, what I see you doing in other people's lives. And that darkness sets in again. That darkness begins to take root again. And we go back to the pattern of the past, back to the, the thing that we trusted in before, the addiction of the past, the idol of the past, the power of the past. It's, it's possible. It's possible. I've seen many, many believers, many good friends. My, my, the man who led me to Christ in young life, led me to Christ, is now an avowed atheist walking in, in, in perversion and brokenness. And it happens. This story should sober us that we would examine our hearts, examine our minds, examine our lives, that we would say, Lord, is there any place in me that is holding back the move of your spirit, that you want to touch me in a certain way, you want to do powerful things through, but there's an umbrella over me because of this or that event. And that opens the door, like I said, it opens the door to demonic stuff. It is, the demons are like rats. They just are attracted to garbage. And when we have garbage in our soul, in our mind, in our lives, they're going to come. They're going to make it worse. So if there is an addiction that's undealt with, that there's a wound that's still not healed, a wound that you know is causing anxiety and causing depression and causing all this stuff, they're going to come and add to it because they see that wound and they're, they're, going, to be, it's, they're going to be attracted to it. Their job is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Their job is to prevent you from walking in the fullness that God has for you, the destiny God has for you, the promises God has for you. And ultimately, they want, they want to kill you, and they, they did that to Simon. They, they killed his faith. It, it, it appears. It appears. So, the three themes I feel like in this text that I wanted to end with are these three things. I see purpose, purity, and power. I see that Philip walked in all three, and Simon walked in the counterfeit of all three. And two kingdoms collided, purpose, purity, and power. So the purity issue is not necessarily, necessarily sexual purity. I'm talking about purity of relationship with the Lord. That, that when a person possesses purity, they, they want oneness with Jesus, intimacy with Jesus, and that's, their, that's their, the source of their power. That's the source of their purpose. That's the source of their lives. And out of that place of intimacy flows everything else. Everything else comes out of that place of purity and intimacy. And there's, a, there's a, a humbleness that occurs in people's lives when they are spending time with Jesus just because he's worthy of it. Not because they need forgiveness or they need healing or they need direction. They just love him because he's the highest thing they could love. He's the most glorious one we can seek. He is the reward of our lives. So the purity that we experience is simple intimacy, profound intimacy. And I believe Philip had that. He had a oneness with Jesus that made him be able to walk in the power. So the purity results, hopefully, in power. And I realize that power is, a, is a sort of a, maybe a weird word. But the, I don't just mean power like signs and wonders. I mean power over sin. I mean power to walk in holiness, power to share the gospel in confidence, power to feed the poor, power to pray for healing. Purity should result in a display of power in our lives. It should result in the power of the kingdom coming through our lives, right? It should, be, it should produce something. And I've known people that had purity, and they loved, they loved the vertical part of their walk with God. They loved spending time with Jesus, and 
they were terrified of going out to the lost. They were terrified of, of stepping out. And it just became a very sort of self-absorbed thing. And I, I came out of that, really, in my old ministry I was involved with in, in, you know, years ago. But there was just this, and it's beautiful to see people that are so, so in love with Jesus, they wanted to spend time with him 24-7, you know, just spend time with Jesus, me and Jesus, me and my beloved. I'm the beloved, he's, you know, so on and so forth. And that's huge, but it, it has to produce something else. Because his love should propel us out, right? The power should come out of the purity, and likewise, if you, get, if you get it backwards, if you just have the power without the purity, that's really dangerous. All through history, there have been so many stories of Christian leaders, Christian men and women, with incredible power to share the gospel, incredible power to heal, heal the sick, incredible power to advance the kingdom. And they end their lives in compromise and defeat and hypocrisy. So many stories of that. I mean, I can just go through name of name people in, in the modern times as well as, as well as years ago. Because they lived in a place of power but not purity. They, they lost their first love. They lost the intimacy side of, of their, their walk with Jesus. Flood alert. It's all right. So it's going to be okay. So, so power, I mean, and, and the thing is, I, I know people that, I, in my, again, I, I've known people that have had great power, but they don't have purpose. That's the third P, the purpose. Like they would go from thing to thing to thing, and ministry to ministry, mission, mission trip to mission trip, thing to thing, without ever knowing what the real purpose was. They were incredible. They had great faith. They came out of some, some incredible experience with the Lord, but they had no purpose. They, had, they didn't know what, what they were supposed to be really doing. And so they were just like loose cannons, just boom, 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 power, power, power. Um, and and then without purpose. And purpose is tricky because you, you can go into any bookstore and read 50 books on purpose. I and mean, that's, that's the coolest thing out is you can just read any paradigm. There's all kinds of plans and programs and paradigms for purpose. Purpose, purpose for your life, purpose for your church, your church, purpose for anything. But what's the purpose, not a purpose? We need the purpose. We want to have people who know their purpose, not just a purpose, like any good purpose. Like there's so many good things you could live for, but what's the thing you're called to in your place of work, in your family, in your neighborhood? What's the purposes God has for you? And that comes out of the purity again. God shows you your purpose as you spend time with him. God shows you your, his plan for your life when you spend time with him. When I was on, on Young Life staff, I, I was um, back in the 90s, uh, for seven years on Young Life staff, I, I had the, the purpose part. You know, like I had, it was so clear. If, if you know about Young Life, it's this very clear ministry about reaching the lost kids of, of wherever you live. And I had the purpose. Like it was just all laid out for me. And at first, when you first start ministry, you're like so desperate for Jesus because you're like, I got to talk to these high school kids and never, never, never talked to them before. I walk in at Orange Park High School and there's like 2,000 kids at lunch. And I'm like, help me, Jesus. I don't know a single kid. And so the desperation is there, like at first. The desperation is there. And the purity thing is like, you're like using the purity part, the intimacy part, so that it fuels the purpose. But after a while, after several years... I became more successful. I had a bigger club, and, and kids were going to camp, and so on and so forth. And I'd been basically trafficking in God, trafficking, like using him, because I was desperate for him to help me. And so the scale kind of tipped from depending on God to depending on self. The purpose was always clear, right? The purpose was always there. But I became led by the flesh, I became led by my own talents and abilities. It happens all the time. 
And you can't tell what happens. It looked like I was still great. It looked like I was, there were still, still such results that were happening. But I was depending on myself, my own abilities, my own personality, my own leadership, my own intellect, my own giftings, whatever it was. I was not desperate anymore for the Lord. And so, honestly, the fruit, the fruit of that changes. When we trust in, in ourselves, it may look the same, but the results are very different. And I feel like, I feel like the fruit of my ministry really was, was minimal compared to what it could have been had I, had I lived in a place of desperation for the Lord. As soon as I left that, that area, it just kind of crumbled. It was built around me. It was built around my own abilities, my own resources, my own stuff, and it just kind of crumbled. I, I hadn't empowered people. I hadn't set people up. It, it survived. It's gotten better. But, but the fruit was pretty minimal, in my opinion. Pretty minimal, because I lived with clear purpose, but with very little purity in my heart. And my, my prayer, my hope, is that you and I would be people of purity, which re- would result in us finding our purpose, which would result in us walking in real power, that the kingdom of God would come out of our lives, come out of our church. The Lord has been showing this church in the past year and a half greater purpose, right? We've been going through all this vision stuff, all this stuff. We're asking the Lord, seeking the Lord, discerning what the purposes are of, of RCC. And then individually, each of you has a purpose for this church's overall purpose. But if we're not walking in purity and walking in, in, in the power, it's just a plan. It's just a, it's just a nice idea. It's just a nice trajectory where we hope to be. So my prayer is that we would not be like Simon. We would allow the Spirit to move in our lives. We would deal with the issues, if there are issues, that hold us back, the unforgiveness, bitterness. Ask ourselves, are there any open doors to demonic activity in our lives? We would renounce it. We would deal with it. We would, we would seek deliverance. That's what the word is, deliverance from those things. And we would walk in greater freedom. The Lord is so ready. He is never withholding of his great power. He's raining down, again, the theme of the day, rain, but he's raining down love. He really is. He's raining down, and we may have a little umbrella or a big umbrella or no umbrella, but the point is there's always stuff in our lives that he wants to unveil un, to, to unveil and to show, to show us more of his love. Always ways that he wants to refine us and fill us and bless us. He delights to deliver, the Bible says. He delights to deliver. All of us need it. So I would just, this morning, let's just stand and just pray. However he wants to show us, however he wants to touch us, if it's more in this Holy Spirit stuff, if it's more in the power purity thing, it could be a number of ways the Lord may be speaking. So I want to just be quiet for a minute or so and just ask the Lord to speak and to touch and to reveal whatever he wants to reveal. Let's pray. Father, a lot's been said, Lord. There are many things that could be touching to us in different ways. Lord, I pray you just right now, by your spirit, just push aside any distractions, anything that would hinder clarity, Lord. I just pray right now for real wisdom and revelation right now, what you want to do individually in each person here, Lord. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and bring revelation, bring unveiling, bring understanding, Would you bring healing, Lord, emotional, physical healing, Lord? Would you bring deliverance, Lord, from from demonic oppression today, Lord?
Would you send more of your light in this place right now, Lord? I feel like the Lord wants to say there's nothing to be ashamed of. And some of you here feel that. And the enemy is accusing you of something and, you're, and there's, such, there's, there's just shame that would hold you back. So there's nothing to be ashamed of in Jesus' name. Father, would you break shame with truth that you delight to deliver, Lord.